Good morning, everyone. Welcome to I Hope Community Church. I'd just like to say thank you for coming. Uh, for us Buffalonians, we know how to brave the cold, brave the winter. I know some people might want to travel all the way to Florida during this time, but we like to stick it out. We persevere. Um, for those of you who don't know, our lead pastor is not here. He's, he was in Florida, um, wise as he is. He missed the whole storm and got to enjoy, I don't know if it was perfect weather, but better weather than we had. Um, but pray for him as he's in Pennsylvania right now. Um, he was traveling back and <clears throat> whiteout conditions and stuff that was hard. He got a hotel, but yeah, just pray for him, uh, Stephanie and Paul, as they travel back. Um, hopefully see them next week. Uh, but as always, I know I am insufficient. I know I need God's help. And so if you wouldn't mind, let us pray once again. Dear God, thank you so much for today, uh, for the newness of your creation, uh, the ability to perceive and to um, glory in your creation. Um, and so we thank you for the opportunity to gather, um, that we don't take this for granted, but we can come here, sing songs of praise, we can hear your word, we can have fellowship and community, God, and so we thank you for your church, and God, we just pray for Matt, Stephanie, and Paul as they journey back, uh, we just pray for safe travels for them, um, even though they're only a few hours away, God, we ask that you will just allow them to have good driving conditions, that they can get back safely, um, and that they had a restful and relaxing vacation, uh, that they deserve time to to spend time with family and to relax, and so I pray that you were able to give that to them. And lastly, for us, we ask that you might open our eyes and ears to see and behold the beauty of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, as you all kind of experienced, we had kind of snowy conditions this, this past week, and maybe some of you got snow days. Maybe some of you kids got days off of school, or some of you adults um, got days off of work. And so I remember sometimes when I was younger, we would watch movies. And so maybe you were turning on a movie or you just wanted to watch a movie. And maybe it was one of those kind of series like A Lord of the Rings or Fast and Furious or whatever movie it is. Um, for me, whenever I would turn on TV, I would always come on to Star Wars. And for me, I have seen one, ep one movie of Star Wars probably like, 10 times, and the other movies I haven't seen really at all. I've cut bits and pieces of, of the movie. So I can tell you pretty well what happens in that one part. It's the uh, Anakin Skywalker versus the other guy. That's how well my Star Wars knowledge is. Uh, but how he becomes Darth Vader. But I can't really tell you much about the rest of the story. I can't really tell you a lot about how that happens. One, I don't necessarily understand it. It seems like Star Wars starts at movie four, and then you have to go back to movie one. To me, it's, it's confusing. Any of you Star Wars fans, I apologize. I don't mean to be rude. I just don't get it. But one of the reasons why I don't get it, I, I can maybe understand a small bit, but I don't understand the whole. I don't understand the whole story of Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever movie you want to fill in. I'm missing the whole story, what brings everything together, I'm missing it. I'm only getting a little bit of, of the story, 
and so I'm confused on how it goes. And I think sometimes that happens to us in the Christian life. Of Sometimes it becomes so much, oh, I have to be doing this, I have to, to go to church, I have to read my Bible, do all this kind of stuff. And we get lost in the, the meta-narrative, the, the big story of the Bible. And then we get lost in our part in it. Well, what, what's our part in the story of God's plan? Is it just work and do all these types of things, or is there something greater? Is there a bigger story involved? And I think there is. I think all of Scripture is telling us a story, a story about God. And so this week we're going to kind of be looking from the beginning, Genesis, all the way to Revelation to look at the story of God. And we're going to be giving a kind of 30,000-foot view of what is God up to? What, what is the story of the Bible? And ultimately, what's our part in it? What, what, where do we fit in? And so next week, we're going to be looking at kind of more specifics of, okay, I am a follower of Christ who is a parent, who is an employee, who's a neighbor. What's my part in that? But I think in order for us to, to understand the whole, or, or to understand our part, we need to understand the whole. And so, first, we're going to be looking. We're going to be looking at a bunch of different scripture passages today. Uh, but one that I, I really feel that helps us hone in is Psalm 96. And so, get ready. I already told Paul, who's working the slides, that he's going to be sweating because we got a lot of slides coming uh, to kind of work through the story of of God throughout Scripture. But Psalm 96, verses one through nine, says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And I think this, this psalm helps us to understand the key part of all of Scripture. It says several times here that we are to ascribe glory to God. We, we are to show that he is beautiful, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is glorious in everything that he does. And I think, as we see from Scripture, that that is the point of all, of all of what it's about, all of what God is revealing to us. And I think, even, even as we might have this question, like, for ourselves, like, what is my purpose? Where, where, where do I fit in what is God up to? What, what is God's plan, and where do I fit into what God wants? If you've asked that question or thought of that question, you're not alone. That's a question I think many, or if not all, Christians kind of think, what is my place and what is God's role in this? One person to really kind of attack and, and try and develop this idea was Jonathan Edwards. So if you've heard of him, he's probably the most famous American theologian, and he really 
wanted to answer and ask this question, what is God up to? And so in one of his books, it's called The End for Which God Created the World, he looked at this idea, what, why did God create the world? What was his end? What was his goal in doing this? And as we look, uh, even the Westminster Catechism, which is helpful to us, uh, it'll be on the screen, um, but the Westminster Catechism of Faith, which is adopted by many, um, and it helps us to see um, very clearly what the chief end of man is. Um, I don't know if we have it. If not, here we go. Westminster Short, Shorter Catechisms. What is the chief end of man? That is, in view of God's goal, what should others be? It answers, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So this Westminster Catechism really focuses the purpose of all of life for all of us creatures is to display and to revel, to glory in who God is, that he is beautiful, that he is majestic, that he is powerful, that this is the God of the universe. And so our responsibility is to glorify him, is to worship him. And so many theologians um, have kind of helped us understand more of the Bible in different stages. And so there's kind of four stages that they would look at, um, which are called creation, right? God creates, it is the fall, man sins, redemption, God buys back and saves his people, and restoration, right? Like, all the Bible can be summed up in these kind of four stages of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so I just wanted to look at each one of these stages um, as we go throughout Scripture today and really see the point of this that we are to glory in and we are to make much of this God. And so as we begin, obviously the first one is creation, right? We have to have a beginning, so that's creation. And as we see in Genesis 1 through 2, right, that God is there. And God is in the beginning, and he speaks out, and we have creation. That it was nothing, it was even trying to think of nothing is like, oh, I just think of a, a black atmosphere. It's like, well, that's still something. But God creates out of nothing to create the universe, to create atoms to create from the biggest to the smallest thing he creates and just think about that for a second like as maybe you like to go camping or you like to, to go outside and look at the stars like god had created god had designed the universe in such a way that there are millions upon millions of galaxies that even in our own galaxy we are barely just scratching the surface of understanding it, right? The, the best we can do is Elon Musk trying to get us to Mars, but there is so much more out there to our galaxy that it's just like, we can't even understand, we can't even comprehend. And so like, when you look up at the stars, there's a sense of like, whoa. There's a sense of like, wow, I am pretty small in this, in this world. But it could also be maybe something we have in our backyard, Niagara Falls. And so I don't know about some of you, but living here, I don't necessarily go to Niagara Falls every single day. I don't even go every week. I don't even go every year sometimes because it's there. But people travel 
from all around the world to come to Niagara Falls to see this powerful, mighty spectacle of a rapids flowing at such a rate that's just like, it gets you to stop and think. And I don't know about you, but you don't necessarily go to Niagara Falls to be like, wow, I want to increase my self-esteem, so I'm going to look at Niagara Falls. You go to Niagara Falls because you're like, whoa, there, there is a power here. There is an almighty God who had created this rapid of water falling off this cliff in such a way that I'm just like, whoa. Or maybe, as again, as we all saw this, this week, and maybe are kind of sick of it now, but something even as small as a snowflake. The, the uniqueness of a snowflake falling down from the sky that it kind of solidifies and becomes its unique structure of a snowflake that I've been looking in different reports say different things, but un snowflakes are incredibly unique and rare. You probably won't find a similar one uh, because of just how it, how it forms. But yet, there is a God who has created every single one of these things. There is a God who has created the universe above, Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon, to even the small things of a snowflake, which, again, I'm probably sure many of us are sick of right now and wish all the snowflakes would go away, but even the beauty of, of seasons. There is an almighty God who is displaying his power, his glorious power in how he creates, that this God is amazing. And we see this in Psalm 19, uh, verses 1 through 2. This helps us to, to unpack it. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It says the heavens declare this glory, that everything that God has created is declaring this glory of who he is, the, the glory of his power, the glory of his creativity, the glory of his might, that there is a God out there who is worthy to be worshipped because he is glorious in how he creates. And one, one quote I came along was by John Piper this week um, that was really interesting. It says, The deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. The, the last sentence I think really sticks out, that we were made for this. You want to know your purpose? Your purpose is to recognize, to worship the glory of God. We were made for this. We were made for this exact thing, is to worship God and say, you are from the universe above to the snowflakes below. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are the King, Almighty God. So that's phase one, that's, that's creation, right? But as I, as I mentioned, kind of the, the stages of scripture, the stages of, of the story of God, we don't get too far before fall or sin. As you guys um, read Genesis 3, we see very quickly, three chapters in, that sin infiltrates, that Adam and Eve are there and, and the serpent kind of tempts them to eat this, this fruit which God had commanded them not to, but yet they saw that it was pleasing to their eye, and they said, you know what? I'm going to eat this fruit. I'm going to disobey God. And as we read throughout the rest of Scripture, specifically Romans 5, we see what 
their sin had done, what didn't just impact them, it impacted all of us. The entirety of the human race was impacted by this sin, that sin is now in us. We, we are now sinners. We are now born into sin. And now we have the greatest problem, the greatest dilemma. What it says in Romans 3.23 is a very common verse. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another way that could be translated is we have failed to ascribe God the glory due his name. So we were made to give him glory. We were made to praise him. But because of sin, we have failed to describe. We have failed to live our lives honoring to him. Even more so, we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what sin and Satan bring about is this blinding of us to see the glory of who Jesus is. So imagine we just got a couple weeks back from Christmas, and imagine you wake up in the morning, or maybe for some of us adults, you wake up in the morning, you do all your work, you take a nap, and you wake up. But you come downstairs, and even before you get to see anybody, you're walking down the stairs, you hear Christmas carols. You hear Christmas music. You hear the laughter of your friends and your family. You take another step further, and you're hit in the face with the aroma of pies, the aroma of desserts, and all the delicious food that your family makes. You finally get a little bit closer, and you know what? You can see, you come downstairs and you see family together. You, you see your kids enjoying um, and having fun with their toys. You see other family talking and, and having a great time. You see smiles on people's faces. You see what Christmas is about. It's about family time. It's about getting together and having just a joyous time of community. Now imagine that next year you wake up, everything's the exact same, and your family's over, they're cooking food, they're having, playing with their toys, doing everything that a normal family would do on Christmas. But this Christmas you wake up, and you're deaf. You, you can't hear what's, what's going on in the house. You can't see what, what, what is going on. You can't see the smiles anymore. It's just darkness. You can't, you lose the ability of all of your senses to really enjoy and embrace the holiday. What has happened is the senses have become unable for us to enjoy, for us to glory in what we once did. I think that's a picture of sin. Sin blinds us. Sin deafens us. Sin takes away all the senses that we were made to glory in Jesus. We were made to glory in God, but sin now has taken away. It has darkened um, who we are, and so we are unable to truly embrace who Jesus is, embrace who God is. And so if we were made to glory in God in creation, sin deadens us to glory, glorify God. Sin puts this mask over us. It does not 
allow us to do what we were made to do. It, it, to our very core, it, we reject God, we disobey God, we turn away from God. Like, again, as Romans 3 says, this is for everyone. Everyone in this church, everyone in Buffalo, everyone in the world, like, this has happened to every single one of us, the power and effects of sin. And one um, famous pastor uh, by the name of Charles Spurgeon, he said um, a very helpful quote, you will never glory in God till first of all God has killed your glorying in yourself. That's really what, what sin is, right? It is, okay, I am rejecting God and I'm going to glorify myself. I don't want to give that glory away to another. I want it myself. I deserve this glory myself. But what Spurgeon says is we need that glory in ourselves to be killed so then we can glorify God for who he is. And so then, thirdly, we get to redemption. As we've looked at creation, we've looked at the fall, and now we've looked at redemption. And as I was looking at this, I found it quite interesting that the story of the Bible or the story of God is all about redemption. Even for maybe you math fans out there, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,184 of them talk about redemption. So excluding Genesis 1 and 2 for creation, excluding Genesis 3 for the fall, and excluding Revelation 21 and 22, which talk about the new heavens and new earth, everything else is the story of God redeeming his people. Is the story of, hey, these people had sinned in Genesis 3, so from Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 20, God is on mission to redeem his people. God is on mission to show that you are not too lost, you are not too far, that God will do what he wants to redeem his people so that we can glory in him as we should. Also, I've looked at the amount of verses. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible. 30,974 of them are about redemption. And so looking at both of these, 99.58% of the Bible is about God's story of redemption. I think this is, God wants to see us some, show us something pretty clear that God is on mission. And the, the whole idea of, of redemption is the idea of buying somebody back. In the New Testament, it's, it's often used with the word um, and the connotation of slavery. That somebody was enslaved, somebody was owned by this master, but somebody redeemed them. Somebody bought them out of, out of the possession of that master, and now they are theirs. That, that's what we see from Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 20, is that God is on mission to do this. But not just me saying this, many other theologians, one by the name John Calvin, says this very, very well. He says, the glory of God shines. Indeed, in all create creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross. That this is the pinnacle of what God is after, is to display his glory in such a way that we can revel in the cross, that we can look and say the cross is the glorious, most gracious, most merciful thing that we could see. Another quote from Spurgeon that we see is, the marvel of heaven and earth of time and eternity is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. There is the mystery that 
This is the mystery that brings more glory to God than all creation. So Calvin's saying one, that um, the cross is the brightest display of God's glory. Spurgeon says the same thing. But why? H- how can that be true? How, how is that true that redemption and God saving his people is the greatest act, the, the most glorious act that he could ever display? As I was thinking about this this week, um, that question was on my mind. And I think it really came down to cost. Now, God is an infinite God. God is the almighty God who can do whatever he desires. And so as we see in Genesis 1, he, he speaks and the universe is formed. He, he can create anything just by the word of his, of his power and it is formed. But redemption is another story. Redemption involves a cost. Redemption involves a sacrifice. Redemption involves Jesus coming in, taking the place of people like us. So he needs to take on flesh. He needs to indwell us like we are humans. And he needs to be a sacrifice. He needs, for a God-sized payment of what sin does, we need a God-sized sacrifice. And so Jesus embodies this. Jesus says, I am willing to go. I am willing to pay this cost so that you may be brought back to be, be redeemed, to be with his people. And so we see all throughout Scripture, um, just one in particular, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6, just shortly after he talked about the blindness, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So even though just two verses earlier, he says that we have been blinded by Satan, we have been blinded by sin, now he says Jesus has removed that veil from us. He has given us eyes to see now that we can see truly the knowledge and the glory of Jesus Christ. That all throughout Scripture, it gives us pictures and gives us... um, unpacking of what that really means. In Colossians 1, it says, you have been transferred from death to life. That truly we have been dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has now brought us to life. It says in John 3 that we have been born again. We have been made alive by the work of God. We, we have a new heart, according to 2 Corinthians 5, that this is the ultimate display of God's glory because we see his glorious grace. That redemption involves God doing something he doesn't need to. Not not because of us being so great and so awesome and so mighty. It involves God saying, hey, they don't deserve it, but I'm going to be gracious to them and still do it. So we see his glorious grace as Ephesians 1 talks about. We see his glorious mercy on display that we are his enemies. We have been those who have stiff-arm, Josh Allen-style, stiff-arm rejected God, but yet he's the one merciful to us. And so we see at the cross, at the time that Jesus gives of his life, that is the most glorious picture of who God is, that is the most glorious grace, the most glorious mercy, the most glorious kindness that we could see in a person. And so... 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 
speaks now and says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so this is for, for all of us believers out there. This is a command, whatever you do, it should all be for the glory of God. So how you raise your children should be for the glory of God. What job and where you decide to live shouldn't necessarily be dictated on money. It, it should be dictated from this verse for the glory of God. That all things, even it, it mentions the most menial, small things, whether you eat or drink, it is for the glory of God. That whether you go home and have a glass of water or whether you have a nice sandwich and a sub or pizza for the bills came tonight, it should be for the glory of God that everything in our life shall now, because of what he's done for us, be in view to glorify God. And so we get to 1 Thessalonians 1.17, which should be the, the prayer and the declaration for all of us. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica, and it should be all of our hearts. The God who is immortal, who is holy, who is majestic, who is beautiful, should receive this glory for, for how he has saved us, for how he has transformed us, from how he has brought us from death to life. He should receive this glory. And so finally, we get to the last stage in this process called restoration. There's been difference um, of how people say this, whether it's restoration or new creation. Um, it really just means the same thing. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And so this is the, the final kind of culmination of all of life. And we see in Revelation 21, verse 23, um, where it says, And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And so we finally get to the, the last stage in the process where we are in the new heavens and new, the new earth, and we have been now redeemed, and now we can truly embrace and worship and glory in Christ for what he has done for us for all of eternity. That there will be no more sin, that there will be no more guilt, there will be no more disease, there will be no more evil, no more sin in this life, and now we will be able to glory in God forever as the true God that he is. And so as we look throughout these four kind of stages um, from the story of God, one question I really want us to think about is, what does this mean for me? Now, I, like I said, I gave a very quick 30,000-foot view of the story of God, and there's a lot more I could have said, um, and that's kind of one of my favorite things, just going through Scripture and unpacking the Old Testament, see how it points to Jesus, unpacking what Jesus has done for us. But we don't have the time because we got a Bills game later on tonight at 8, and I could probably talk for several weeks, so I'll stop here. But like I said, in order to understand our part, we need to understand the whole. In order to understand the one episode, um, in order to understand the full series of Star Wars, we can't just understand one episode. We gotta have the full idea of what's being talked about. And so, I want us to think about this. 
is the glory of God the motivating factor in how you live? That this is the mission of God, that God is on mission to display his glory through creation, even through the fall and redeeming his people, and ultimately through restoration. And so is that our motivating factor in life? Are we motivated by this same idea to glorify God in how we work, in, in the ability and the opportunity we have at our workplace? Are we seeing the glory of God as the number one factor on why we live, on, on why we're there? Or maybe that's in our neighborhood. Are we seeing the number one factor, the motivating factor of why I live on this street in North Tonawanda is to share the gospel with the people around me? There's many things that um, I could talk about here, whether it be marriage or family or work. Um, but the question I want us to think about this week um, as we get into next week is, is the glory of God the motivating factor for how we live? I think um, one person said it really well, C.S. Lewis. He has a pretty famous quote um, in which he kind of talks about this. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think as I was thinking about this quote as I read this, I think it's true of myself. It's very easy to be far too easily pleased by the things of this world. That the pressure of this world is constant. That we're getting hit by many different, many different um, avenues, whether it's entertainment and how, you know what, like the world says, veg out, Netflix all day and chill and just don't have to worry about anything. Just spend several hours of your, your day just watching TV. I'm not hating on TV, um, but I think the world gives us these pleasures that, as C.S. Lewis says, are just too weak. Like, we were made to glory in the Almighty God, but yet we often t spend time on entertainment or Netflix. Um, and so I think we are far too easily pleased. Finally, the last quote I have for us is by John Piper, in which he says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. I think that's, again, that's, that's true of my life. I think that's true of a lot of us, that we have filled ourselves on things that are far too easily small, that, are, um, that we have nibbled on these things at the table of the world, that we have exchanged that for how we were made to glory and to worship God. And so, as, as I mentioned, this week is the big story, and next week is going to be more of what that looks like for each and every one of us. Because what I believe is true is that when we encounter the glory of God, we can't help but change. That as, as you see throughout scripture, that there have been countless people who have encountered the glory of God and have been radically changed by it. 
And so that's what I'm basing my life on. I'm basing my life that when I see and behold the glory of God from his scripture, I will be radically changed. I will be on mission with what God wants, and I will live my life differently. That maybe those tastes that I have nibbled at of the world will be passed away for the true joys and delicacies of the glory of God. And so, as we conclude with Psalm 96, it says, Ascribe to the Lord glory. Magnify the Lord. He is the one who is great and awesome, who is beautiful, who deserves the praise of his people because he is a beautiful and glorious creator who shows his um, glory on display at, at the cross by graciously and mercifully and kindly saving his people. And we see that glory that will go on forever. So will you join the angels, the saints, who will be singing in the glory of God for all of eternity? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Dear God, you are an awesome God. God, even as we, we look to see just the, the story of you throughout Scripture, that we can understand, God, that the story, the number one main character in this is you, that you are showing yourself as a glorious, awesome, beautiful, majestic Lord that you are. So through creating and, and making us that we have been designed for it, that we have been made to glory in you. But unfortunately, the, the power of sin had corrupted us. It had blinded us. It had removed our senses. But God, you didn't leave us like that. You didn't leave us um, without hope, dead in this world, but you had went on a mission to redeem your people. God, and so I pray if there's anybody who does not know that great and awesome redemption, that, that saving power that you have, that they will talk to somebody, um, that they will be able to understand more about what that is. But God, I pray for us who, who do know you, God, that we will ask the question of, is the glory of God what, what motivates us? God, if, there's, if it's not, that we may repent, that we may turn away um, from anything that is, that is wrong, and we will turn to you, that our hearts will be, the, the fire of our hearts will be set ablaze to see just how awesome and glorious you are, and that we will live our lives in everything that we do to glorify in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.